God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Family Discussion. It's great to be with you. My name is Marcus Tortega, and as always, I'm joined by the illustrious Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you doing today? Illustrious? You know, I wish I were feeling illustrious. It is uh, Monday, and I don't work... Well, let's just say I don't go into the office on Mondays. Um, I did bring my work laptop home because I had like a lot of stuff I needed to get done, um, but it's just one of those, you know, it's overcast, it's, you know, a little drizzly, you know, I'm feeling a little lethargic, so I, I, I wish I was feeling a little more illustrative, but you know what? I'll take it. I will take yeah, it. take it. <laughs> Here's what you should take right now, actually, more. So we're recording this while Texas has moved itself to the North Pole. How glad are you that you don't live in Texas Oh, my right God, now? but, you know, my son is still there. He's yeah, in Denton, okay. and he's 23. I, uh-huh. you know, I'm just 23 year old college student living with three other guys. I'm, you know, so I'm sending texts <laughs> like, you know, make sure you the water's dripping, you layer yeah. up, you know, kind of, you know, kind of deal. People in Texas don't there. know, they don't know what they're doing uh, in no, weather like this. No, 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 no. They do not. Cause you know, I moved from Rhode Island right, to yeah. Texas <laughs> in 2008 and the first little bit of snow I got, I'm like looking for the trucks. They put sand down. I'm like, what is this? That's, <laughs> that's like trying to stop a, you know, stop a bullet with a, a piece of toilet paper. Like, oh, what are you? Man. <laughs> like, what are you? <laughs> what, what is this sand going to do other than make the road dirty? <laughs> oh, man. Well, listen, uh, and there is serious concern. We joke about it because we're living up here in the north mm-hmm. and we're used to the cold. But the south, and especially the southwest, Texas, Arizona, places like that, don't have the protections you need for something like this. They're not right. ready for it. And so there's some real suffering happening down there. So we are praying for our, our friends and our family down in Texas. Um Lisa, we are continuing our series today looking at issues of justice, ethnicity, race, uh, through a systematic theology lens. So we took a week off last week. We're back this week with our with this conversation about really what we're gonna what we've been doing all season and what we're gonna continue doing. Um, I, I think the the question that's still out there, because we've been talking about general revelation and special revelation. What are the limits to general revelation? Like, how far can it really get us? Because I think what we can do is we can take general revelation, the truth that God, that all truth is God's truth, that God reveals himself through creation, through conscience, uh, through the study of his creation, through the sciences and things like that. 
we can take that and run with it and leave special revelation to the side as if it has nothing to say. Um, but there's actually theologically limits to the scope of general revelation, to the scope of common grace. It's true, but the only way we can know the extent of that truth is when special revelation shines a big old spotlight on general revelation and helps define it for us. Right. And so, um, Lisa, as you kind of think through and wrestle with the boundaries of general revelation and the way scripture creates a boundary, what are some of the things that you have in place to say, okay, yes, all truth is God's truth, but we can't ignore scripture. How do we make sure we don't, um, even though we intellectually say we don't ignore it, we can practically do it. How do you make sure you don't practically ignore special revelation when dealing with general revelation? You know, it, 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 to me, it starts with asking a lot of questions. Um, because I think it's easy to imbibe um, paradigms and principles that are, you know, that come through these different disciplines without really asking the question, like, is this, you know, does this really match up? Now, you, you take the, now here's an area that I'm, I'm not very familiar with, but I know that it, has some, you know, controversy in terms of how much do you follow a secular model, and so that is in the area of psychology and of counseling, right? So am I, you know, am I going to implement, am I going to employ the, um, you know, the tools, the methodology that comes from a secular framework and say, well, it's not inconsistent with scripture, so therefore I'm going, you know, I'm going to use it, I'm going to integrate it into a Christian counseling model. I mean, this is a question for a Christian counselor. Again, that's not my field, so I don't want to sure. overstep. But I do know, and especially from the one class that I did have to take in seminary on biblical counseling, you know, that's a question. And I'll be honest with you, we read a book that was very much into the integrative approach where there were some places there and I'm like, I don't, I don't think this actually aligns with what scripture says. And so it's, for me, it's asking the questions of what is the, what is the foundation and what are the, what are its applications? Um, you know, I studied economics and so surely there are, you know, when you look at how the world works, right? You know, the Bible is not going to tell you about supply and demand. It's not going to tell you about the law of diminishing returns. But you can look at what that says and what that suggests about human behavior um, and say, you know what, I, that, I think that, that that's right. Because we, we, I mean, we could even look at how people operate in Scripture, and say, you know what, I, yeah, that's, there's nothing inconsistent here. Um, and so I do think it, it, it does take asking the questions first and not just, you know, it's like, oh, this sounds good and running down the street with it. Yeah, I, I think it's trying to strike this delicate balance, right, between um, outright rejection and wholesale embrace of the systems of thought that are out there in the world. I mean, there are these different areas where this is where all the debates happen, right? The, the big fight over evolution and creation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the hard sciences are claiming one thing, and it appears um, that what the hard sciences claim 
run contrary to scripture. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are some who say you have to choose between one or the other, and there's others who try to synthesize. Um, you know, I, I the the biblical counseling one is interesting. I went to Westminster Theological Seminary, and um, that's right next to the council um for uh, CCEF, I can't exactly remember what the acronym stands for, but that's an organization of biblical counseling um, that is incredibly suspicious of the world of psychology. Um, and Jay Adams, who is kind of the founder of CCEF and was a Westminster professor for a long time, famously had no place for the psychological, uh, secular uh, understanding of, of how to help people work through their their emotions. And so I remember in one of those classes, we actually looked at a book. Uh, it was the Bernstein Bears. And we... Wait, hold um, it, hold it. Yeah. You guys read, look, Westminster Theological Seminary and all of its seriousness Yo. and its doctrinal... Uh, crossing of the T's and dotting of the yep. I's. You read the Bernstein Bears. I think I Here's heard what it we did. all. But go ahead. It was it was hysterical. <laughs> like I'm looking at my uh, my book list for the semester, and I see I have to buy the Bernstein Bears and uh, the Gimme Gimmies, and I'm going, what in the world is this? But here's what we did with the book, and I'm sure some people really appreciated this exercise. I I think it typifies one of the problems with the reformed tradition sometimes um we took that book and we wrote an analysis to demonstrate how the psychology that is inherent in the bernstein bears children's book runs contrary to scripture and so there we are as seminarians picking apart the bernstein bears with a fine-tooth comb to show how it falls out of scriptures uh, and i'm just sitting there going i just want to read the bernstein bears to my kids like i had kids at the time going i'm not getting rid of this book just because you think it's teaching a worldly psychology it's um it but that's that's an example of what it can look like to reject something wholeheartedly rather than saying okay what can we learn Mm -hmm. but what what falls to the side when we put it through the sieve of the scriptures uh what's the chaff you know there's the the very famous uh you eat the meat and spit out the bones metaphor for dealing with these things in the world and um you know there's the hard sciences there's the soft sciences psychology is one of them but sociology is another one and this is where it really gets to where we're going today as an example to to try and show that there is a place for general revelation to inform us but there must be limits on that general revelation scripture is the final word on how we understand the soft sciences how we understand creation um and sociology has become a a bloody and vicious battleground within uh the the broader reformed and evangelical circles and folks may not realize this but when i say the next thing you'll go oh right that's definitely a battleground critical race theory crt is uh it has come out of legal studies out of um out of sociological studies it's a theory of understanding you know understanding the world understanding nations all of that it's a it's a part of a larger umbrella of things called critical theory um i'm gonna just say this before we get into it i have never written on CRT. I don't talk about CRT much, and there is one primary reason why. I don't know what I'm talking about. 
just straight up. I don't understand all the ins and outs. Um, I don't understand things like the Frankfurt School. I've never read folks like Derek Bell. He's in a, he's not from the Frankfurt School. He's on this other group of legal scholars that have embraced CRT. Um, I don't understand it much. In fact, I had not heard of CRT until I was accused of employing CRT in my work uh, to try and, and pursue social justice and racial justice. Um, that happens <laughs> just, a lot. It actually. does. That, that was my introduction. Like, I, I'm doing what? What is what is this? And then I had to go look up CRT and realize, oh, it's this whole world that I know nothing about. Um, and, and so... I want to talk about this as a, a, an example of there's good in general revelation. We want to learn from general revelation, but there's limits to what we can learn without scripture. And I've chosen CRT because not long ago, our very own Lisa Spencer wrote an article at her blog, Theo Thoughts. And uh, that article is called, if you want to go look it up and read it for yourself, I encourage you to do it, theothoughts.com. The article from February 6th is, When Ideas Have Feet, We Can See How CRT Moves. Uh, so to start, Lisa, why don't you just give us kind of a quick overview. What were you saying in this article? So, I, like you, I have really not invested a lot of time, a lot of energy into, um, you know, into the scholarship of critical race theory. I do know that there is, you know, there are some parallel thoughts that, you know, that have come out of legal studies. And so some folks will camp on, well, you know, if you're talking about the Frankfurt School, you're not really talking about critical race theory because it came out of these legal studies starting in the 70s. I think that's a little dishonest because there is definitely an overlap of ideas. And that, and here's, and here's the thing. What I wanted to do in this article was I wanted to deal with the ideas because here's what I think happens, especially when we're talking about sociology and ideas that have gone mainstream in the broader culture where people are imbibing the ideas, and including Christians, imbibing the ideas, um, imbibing the language, and then, you know, and then employing that in, in my opinion, in not a critical manner in terms of, you know, going through the exercise, is this compatible with, with scripture? And this is a prime example, I think, of ideas that have gone mainstream, um, that are being, in a lot of cases, uncritically imbibed, um, with, you know, with the intention of addressing a long-standing historic issue that has plagued is particularly the United States. And we need to be honest about that. And I think that this is one of the main reasons why it's become so attractive because CRT says, aha, we have this problem and we need to look at it honestly, and here's the solution. So when you have the church that doesn't want to deal with issues of race and justice from a biblical perspective, well, guess what? It's going to make 
what's going on in the outside for people who do are, are saying, okay, let's, let's deal with this. Um, and, you know, and so the pro, the main reason I, I actually did not want to write anything on this. I mean, for the very same reasons that you cited, I, you know, it has become, I think, you know, the words you use are red herring. Um, and I agree that with that to an extent, um, but there is this idea, and particularly for those who are more conscientious of, you know, issues involving race, and particularly systemic racism, which is a whole other, a whole, a whole other topic, but um, who are wanting to deal with this and saying, you know, this has some benefit for how we engage with these issues. And so for though, and because of that, when there is a rejection of critical race theory, what that, how that gets interpreted is, oh, you don't want to deal with racism. You are denying systemic racism. You don't want to deal with racism and you want to uphold white supremacy. And so there, there then has become this very um, prolific charge of, you know, anybody who objects to critical race theory is not wanting to deal with this. And so I'm, you know, I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. There are reasons why when you look at the ideas that have gone mainstream, there are reasons why Christians are looking at this paradigm, looking at scripture and saying it's not compatible. Now, whether you actually want to deal with racism and issues of just, we need to treat that separately. Um, but I really, I, beca I became very weary and very agitated of this blanket charge. And so that's what prompted me to write the article. I, I can see that. I, I think, I think that's fair. There is, uh, there, I have seen the response that if you don't embrace CRT, you are therefore embracing white supremacy. And I don't think that that's fair or right. Um, I think the the challenge I have is that the American church has been so bad at addressing this, particularly the American evangelical church, but let's look beyond that broad morass of whatever. Let's look a little closer to home. The reformed world has been really bad at this. The reformed world has failed time and time and time and time again when it comes to looking at race and actually applying the scriptures and applying our confessions to this question. And CRT at least is addressing questions that the church has refused to address for a long time. And so I can understand why CRT would then be attractive to folks who are saying, hey, we're tired of the Reformed Church not saying anything, we're going to start saying stuff. And because there is no applied systematic of race, like uh, that book doesn't exist. Um, there is nobody who has taken the full breadth of the Westminster Standards and applied it to these questions. Well, then we'll use the resources that are there. And CRT has resources. And so I can understand why some folks have embraced it. Now, I think 
that it's fair for you to say it's been imbibed uncritically by some. I think so. Um, there are things in CRT that are uh, problematic in a Christian worldview. And, and here's, here's something that you do in your article. You make a distinction between CRT as an analytical tool and CRT as a worldview. Um, I think that's a helpful distinction. I do want to say this. If CRT is your worldview, then it is completely incompatible with Christianity. Mm -hmm. You cannot allow CRT to become your worldview any more than you can allow material evolution to uh, materialistic evolution to become your worldview. That's antithetical to Christianity as well. The question is, as an analytical tool, is there a place for it to be used? And you sounded some caution in in saying, okay, I understand you want to use it, but here's the problems. So let's go through your article a little bit um, oh boy. without without people, um, you know, not going and reading it. Go read this at Theo Thoughts. I think it's well written and I think it's thoughtful, um, but I think it also prompts questions. So... Um, you give us a handful of uh, potential problems that we can run into when we when we use CRT. The first is CRT creates suspicion. What are you getting at with that? Well, I mean, again, it's the framework, and that's why we have to ask some hard questions when you know when these ideas come in, and you know, it looks attractive. You know, so the whole framework is bent on, you know, that you have this cultural dominance by a particular group. And in this case, and, you know, we're dealing with the United States, it is whiteness. It is, you know, so I made a distinction between, you know, so even though it's not directly opposed to the person who is considered white, the problem is, is because it operates in an identity group paradigm, you're going to put people in that group, right? You're going to, so, so for our white brothers and sisters, unless they make very intentional and strident actions and words, we're going to be likely to throw them in that group. So the whole, the framework of CRT automatically sets up suspicion of white folks, right? Are you, are you those who are going to endorse this paradigm that's been long entrenched into the fabric of American society? Are you going to perpetuate this paradigm simply because you're white? And so what happens is, what happens when we walk into a church that is predominantly white? Oh, and they're singing hymns, you know, the things that came out of Europe. <laughs> um, if, there's no, if there's no critical guard, if there's no um, filtering it through the lens of scripture and saying, you know what, I'm going to look at these people as, as my brothers and sisters in Christ first and foremost. If you don't have that kind of grid and you're operating under this paradigm, you're automatically going to be suspicious. And God forbid you detect something like a microaggression, which could just be them having, you know, an off day or something. 
Um, and so that's where I was getting at with that first component. Is there a place, though, for um, our, our white brothers and sisters? And I don't even like that term necessarily. Um, you know, we could use Caucasian, but I don't know. I, is there a place to recognize the history of, of um, complicity by the church or the history of active participation by the church that were predominantly white churches against people of color like crt taken to its extreme worldview form puts you in kind of a never-ending battle right but it does make some helpful uh analysis doesn't it of of the american situation how we got here um you know and for that i i say why not just look at history honestly you know dr anthony bradley i know he sent out a tweet a while back and said the same thing and i i just plotted like yes that is what we need to do when i you know i just recently co-taught a class on racial healing with one of our elders and a chunk of that, first we started in scripture and looked at what happens with the doctrine of sin, what happens from the, you know, from the um, events of the Garden of Eden, you know, how that infected us as people, our sin condition, and what happens when that infects a culture, when that infects groups of people. Um, and then we can see how that's played out in history. So yeah, we let's just let's just look at honestly at American history and how there were. I mean, listen, we want to be honest. You know, there was a a paradigm of a group identity, right? The the people, the group of people who were of African descent were considered inferior. Were were not on par. You know, they they were not fitting of what would be considered, you know, good citizenry um, without this other group, you know, the white group um, of, of, you know, so there was white superiority operating in this country for many, many, many years. We, ha we need to be honest about that. But we also have to be honest with the fact, well, why? Because there was this social construct that was um, created, you know, the black and white race that there, it, you know, there's no black and white race. It was created specifically for the purpose of, you know, creating this this racial hierarchy. And that did operate. So then as the solution, especially as Christians, is the solution then to go ahead and perpetuate these group dynamics. No. The solution is to go back and look at what scripture says to identify where the church has failed, but to follow scripture. And that means equal valuing your brothers and sisters in Christ and all of, of, of what they bring. So that, that means, um, you know, um, looking at our cultural heritages you know, looking at those distinctions, right? Because we know that Jesus is building a church of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we can look at those, uh, we can look at those cultural distinctives and appreciate them. Um, 
So in my opinion, and I said all that to say, what do you need CRT for? Just look at the doctrine of sin and how that operates. Look at the history of how that has operated, you know, throughout our history. And we look to scripture to make corrections. I'm with you on the last point. We look to scripture to make corrections. We look to scripture to find forgiveness for that sin. I think this is where CRT can fall short is it doesn't have a mechanism for forgiveness. Uh, and, and which is why it can't be a worldview. It, it can only at the, at the most mm -hmm. a Christian could use it as an analytical tool, but not never as a worldview. Uh, I, you know, you, you bring up Dr. Bradley, and I want to read a couple uh, quotes from an article that he wrote earlier in February, just a couple days before your article came out. Um, Critical race theory isn't a threat for Presbyterians. Um, that's the name of his article. It's at mereorthodoxy.com. Uh, Lisa and I are both Presbyterians, and so this article speaks specifically to us in ways that it may not speak to some of our Baptist brothers and sisters. Um there is a, an interesting couple of quotes here that I think are helpful. He ends in a very similar place as you do, Lisa, but I think that there are a couple things here that I would want to draw out just for, you know, what do you need CRT for is a question you asked, and I wonder if these may, may help um, in just here are a couple ways it could be used. So this is from Dr. Bradley. As controversial as this may be to some, at the end of the day, CRT is merely one account of how racism is operated in American society. One can and should learn what one can from it while rejecting what is wrong. CRT is an attempt to give an account of the historic phenomena of racism in America and the vestiges of how racism may linger and how we treat our neighbors and how institutions may operate today. But it is not an account we must accept or reject wholesale. This is an essential point as many progressives today treat CRT as a complete doctrine that must be applied through every level of society, while conservatives react against this and reject CRT in its entirety. Both approaches are wrong-headed and simplistic. And I appreciate the way he's written this because when I think about the way CRT exposes um, the uh, what was an undercurrent in American history classes, in American history, the way it's taught in our high schools and our colleges, actually says one of the primary stories is the story of race. And that's, that's definitely not what I got growing up. CRT uh, shines a spotlight on the narrative of racial oppression in the United States and demonstrates the way that that racial oppression for generations does impact many of the systems in, in uh, our current American context. Um, I don't know that CRT has adequate uh, ways to fix the problem. It doesn't, but I in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen a... a good argument for CRT can fix this. Uh, I just don't think that that's right. I, I think that you'd need to go back to scripture. I think it is ultimately uh, the gospel, the kingdom of God that will lead us to, to fixing this. Um, but I, I tell you what, it is a helpful tool to understand the way that racial oppression has really permeated much of American society. And I guess 
what other mechanism is there that helps us read history correctly? Because it hasn't been read correctly. American history has been has been taught with all of this kind of on the back burner. So, I don't know, Lisa. I mean, I, I put that back kind of to just say, what would be another way of approaching this that doesn't include the insights of CRT? Well, I just said it a few minutes ago. The doctrine of sin. Right? Um, I think that we can see through Scripture the the presence of root dynamics, um, of what happens when those who are, you know, have some type of power, um, you know, in in the what happens for those who don't, right? This is a problem with Israel, right? And this is why the prophets were after the Israelites. Why? Because there was oppression. There was injustice. There was, you know, you, you, I know I'm using the terms, but, you know, marginalization of those who are more vulnerable in society. We can look at the, um, in the New Testament, you know, I look at the Pharisees and what was their, you know, their kind of, their ballywick. You know, well, well, God has chosen us and we were, we are the leaders, we are the, you know, the people who are going to uphold his standard. And they use that as a weapon against the outsiders. We can look at in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 6, where you had the church that was still centered in Jerusalem and it was the Hellenistic widows who were being neglected, you know, and why, you know, why was that? Now, some, I know some commentators suggested, actually, this is a fairly um, recent find for me, is that there was a language barrier. I can see that. But overall, you know, was it, I mean, the church was still centered in Jerusalem. So who, who would still have the preference um, in terms of this cultural standard? You know, would it not be the Jewish Christians? You can look at what was going on in James, what James talks about in his epistle in the second chapter. You know, where he starts off, he's saying, brothers, show no partiality. If you, those of you who are rich, you know, will tell those of you who are poor, go sit over there. So the question, so that raises the question in my mind, how is it? that the rich had the, the wherewithal to go tell this other group. How did one group have the wherewithal to go tell this other group, you go sit over there? I think there's actually so much sociology in the Bible if we, <laughs> if we would just look at it. So again, it, it leads me, it, it, you know, if we know how sin infects people and we know that when groups of people, and here's where I do think sociology can be helpful, is, you know, so what happens with group dynamics? So if we know that there's a particular sin, there's, you know, and then that starts to infest a whole group of people. I mean, we can look at, even look at the Roman, the Roman Empire and how that was, you know, in, a, in its heyday where there was, you know, this thirst for violence. How is it 
that a whole society had a thirst for violence. Um, and so again, we're talking about common grace. I think that there are some clues, like there are sociological um, theories that, you know, give us a, a, a little, um, suggest how that happens. But we know, and again, it's, you know, putting up the guardrails, going to our source, which is scripture. We know it's sin. So we can look at that and look at the history of our country and know that there, yeah, surely there was a, um, and I, and I, you know, as much education as I've had, I still have trouble pronouncing this word. So you might going to have to help me out because I obviously need to get hooked on phonics sometimes. (laughs) But the hegemony. Oh, hegemony. Hegemony, right. So hegemony, um, you can look at, you know, that there were groups throughout society that had the cultural wherewithal to be able to dictate to other groups. And that's just not the United States. I mean, you can you can go to any country and find that. And, um, and so it's, you know... And again, it goes back, not to the basis of CRT, but to the basis of scripture, to the basis of the fall. And that's why we have to employ not only the lens of scripture in terms of identifying the, you know, what, how these things came to be, but also, and more importantly, the application, the remedy, the solution that scripture offers. Yeah, you know, one of the things I love about this show is that in having this conversation, I think we're able to demonstrate that maybe folks aren't as far away from each other as they might think. You know, I agree with everything you just said. Um, I think all I see out of CRT, and and maybe it is more scary and devious than this, and when it is a worldview, it is. But as an analytical tool, when I look at it and I say, this is a, a... an American common grace, borrowed capital, if you want to use Van Til's language. Uh, this is borrowed capital. This is a common grace application of the truths of the scripture into the American story. And that's all I need it to be. I don't need it to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. It can't fix the problem. I don't need it to be in my worldview. Scriptures are my worldview. Um, I guess I just... Uh, and, and, you know, you mentioned the word red herring uh, when we spoke kind of before we hit record on this. This is what I've called the CRT discussions. I I think that we have got ourselves in this huge debate over CRT that we've blown it way out of proportion of what CRT can be used for as Christians, perhaps because it is being used by secularists in different ways. But we're not secularists. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Um CRT at most is an analytical tool, but it is used as a, um, yeah, as a red herring to distract us from the work that has to be done. When everybody who talks about social justice is tagged with the label of you're just operating out of a CRT worldview, it's incredibly, you know, frustrating because we're just trying to do the work. We're just trying to do the work of the kingdom. We're trying to do the work the scripture sets us out to do. And and there is a group of folks, and this is where there's some disagreement, but there's a group of folks who believe social justice is a part of that work, and they didn't need CRT to get there. 
that wasn't what they used to come to those conclusions. I, I look back at what Anthony Bradley wrote in that article. He says this, while I'm able to see that CRT may have a certain limited usefulness in pointing out analytical blind spots and examining the role of race in American life, which is basically what I just said that it can do for us, as a theologian, it is clear that there is a sense in which I do not really need CRT to interrogate racism. In fact, I am free to see how CRT may identify racial issues without having to pledge allegiance to its presuppositions about the nature of reality. Okay. Um, that, I just think that's where a lot of Christians are coming from on this, and I, I don't know. It seems fair to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree a little bit because what I have seen is people with good intentions, and I do think there were, so let me step back a minute, because I do think that there were some really good and intentional strides that were being made until the influence of CRT started taking hold. And I'll use my denomination as an example, whereby um, in 2000, and actually it was it was brought to the General Assembly in 2015, but wasn't passed, you know, the revised version wasn't passed until 2016. Um, the, uh, we, we know it is Overture 43 or the Racial Reconciliation um, Overture, um, where uh, Sean Lucas and Legan Duncan, with the input of many African-American uh, teaching elders in the uh, in the PCA uh, with their input and looking at their experience at their experiences and some of them have had some some hard experiences um, in the PCA um, you know said hey you know we as a denomination even though the denomination was formed in 73 but it came out of this larger southern body um, that we as a denomination, um, we're, we're complicit in, you know, when, when the civil rights movement was taking steam, it was actually even before the civil rights movement, but definitely I would say the marker was from Brown versus Board of Education. Um, and there was this sort of this, this hold on, you know, wanting to preserve the, you know, the Southern, the Southern way of life, because there was a conflation of what was going on with the more theological, uh, the theological liberal branch of, you know, of this larger, um, this larger Southern body that was also addressing the racial issue, was wanting to promote racial integration. And so the theological, um, concern got conflated with the social concern. And, you know, and, and there does need to be a, a taking of ownership of that. Like we, and again, it goes back not to a sociological idea, but to scripture. Like we're, we're connected to our, these brothers and sisters in Christ and, and there was wrong done. And we need to take ownership of that and say we're not going to do that. We're going. We're going to go another direction and a direction that is in accord with Scripture. And this is one, you know, one of my pet peeves about what's happening with the embrace of even CRT as an analytical tool is because we can identify where the church has failed. Yes, let's do that. 
Um, and there should be honesty and there should be ownership of where in particularly from a denominational perspective. But just because people have failed, where they have failed, that gives us the opportunity to do what's right according to scripture. Not, well, they have failed, therefore we need to go embrace this outside paradigm. No, you go back to scripture and do what's right. You, you, you correct where people have failed. Yeah, I, I agree. I, the, only, the only disagreement is I think CRT helps us see where we failed. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's where there's disagreement. And, and I don't think that it's... Um, I, I think that this discussion around CRT, its limits... I, I hear all of your concerns. I share a lot of your concerns, though I, I do think that it's used as a as a red herring nine times out of 10 mm -hmm. um, and you don't, and that's okay. I think that there's just a difference there. Mm -hmm. I think what, what we're really trying to illustrate is common grace and general revelation, getting back to kind of the broader topic. It does have a way to help us see truth. And, and Romans one tells us this, right? That we, we see truth and I think the question that Christians have to wrestle with is how much truth can it show us? To what extent? And I would hope that there would be more conversations like the one that you and I just had rather than the immediate dismissal of, oh, you don't like CRT, then you're upholding white supremacy and label you into that camp or oh you think crt is a helpful analytical tool that must mean you're a marxist who wants the fall of the church in america um you know like there's got to be a, a a loving conversation with brothers and sisters so that we can sharpen one another so that those of us who have embraced crt as an analytical tool only and I won't even say I've embraced CRT. I don't use CRT. I don't care about CRT. This whole conversation is somewhat surreal to me because CRT is not what I've used to come to these conclusions. Uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism on the Ninth Commandment takes me a lot farther than the Sixth Commandment. That Those take me a lot farther than CRT ever would. Um, I, I just think that more conversation like this those who have embraced crt can be sharpened by the critiques but those who have rejected it perhaps can also be sharpened by the call to look critically and honestly at the history of the united states and the way racism has impacted uh, multiple spheres of uh, our current american context i think there's ways for us to have this conversation uh, that help us move forward and i think the pro-CRT, anti-CRT, back and forth has just put us in this weird ideological logjam mm -hmm. that doesn't get us anywhere. Right. And that's why I, you know, I wrote the article the way I did because I wanted to give it feet, which is why the title, you know, is named that because like, we do. We talk about this a lot in the abstract. But what happens when you this is actually implemented on the ground and i think in in you know kind of like i guess this would be my closing comment um i hear what you're saying and i think again in the abstract we can use it as a tool however the paradigm itself 
does not allow for it to just be used as a tool. And I would, and, and I'll say, I'll say this, I didn't even know, and I said this in the article, I didn't even know what CRT was, but I'll tell you what, when I, when I started learning what it was, it made sense. You know why? The ideas were already in play. And to me, this is, the, this is the caution. This is, this is one of my, you know, main criticisms about why and why I push back a little hard on like, why, why do we need this? Because if you're not careful, you can say, I'm using this as a tool, but there's a fuzzy line of where you start adopting its framework and its methodology and its applications and its solutions. And that to me is the concern. I, and and fair enough. Uh, you know, if I were to have a closing word on this, then I guess what I would say would be the, the kind of the mirror image of that, right? In the rejection of CRT, I would hope people wouldn't reject um, the the truth of what has happened in the United States and the way that racism has affected everything. I just, you know, if you don't want to embrace CRT, cool, that's fine. Uh, that doesn't bother me whatsoever. But like Lisa, like you said earlier, we got to be honest about the, the history of our country. We got to be honest about what has happened since then. Um, and I would hope that folks who reject CRT don't then rush into the exact opposite and say, oh, well, that means everything that CRT identified was completely bogus because maybe it wasn't. Um, so this is this is the struggle. This is the dance. It's it's um, every time you get into common grace and general revelation conversations, it gets fuzzy. You're right. That's a really good word for it. These are fuzzy conversations. So my prayer is that we show one another grace as we have this conversation that we're able to recognize folks may come down on different sides of this and not immediately label and dismiss when people come down on different sides. So I think that's it on this one. We're, we're going to lean heavy next week into uh, special revelation doctrine of scripture, really start picking through how that helps us understand uh, some of our current issues. Um, and that really is going to lean us heavy, Lisa, into what you wrote for your uh, dissertation. And so we're going to have a lot of fun. Thesis. Um, thesis. thesis yeah. Sorry. Yeah, not, yeah, okay. I would have jumped off a cliff if I had to write a dissertation. <laughs> that's all I can say. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, hey, that's that, that was a great conversation. Thank you, Lisa, for letting us walk through that article with you. And uh, I hope people have been blessed by this. We'll see you again next week for another episode of Family Discussion. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's Family Discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next family discussion.